Jerry DiPiano, CEO of Femme Pharma Consumer Healthcare, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, our guest is Allison Blod, who is a registered nutritional therapist who helps women manage the negative symptoms of menopause. Allison has worked in the health and wellness industry for over 30 years, specializing in menopausal health. Allison runs her own online clinic, helping women worldwide manage the negative symptoms of menopause. Her mission is to support her clients with tailor-made changes to diet, health, and lifestyle so they can harness their hormones and get their confidence back. So today, we are pleased to have Allison with us, and we're going to be discussing nutrition and menopause, and specifically focusing on a topic that is very important, and that is how to deal with changes in blood sugar during these menopausal years. It's a super important topic because as we know, there's a relationship between diabetes and cardiovascular disease, and the culprit oftentimes is the blood sugar issues that women are sometimes facing. So with that, let me introduce Alison. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. It's lovely to be here today. Uh, and thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So thank you. So Alison, uh, maybe we could start off with the way in which you work with your clients. And uh, no secret, Alison is British and was raised in the UK, but she does see clients all over the world. So she's not restricted. If you happen to be listening in from a different part of the world, I'm in the, based in the United States and just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but um, if you happen to be in a different part of the United States or a different part of the world, Allison may be available to you. Yes, I, I uh, work all over all over the world, which is is fabulous, really. So you can help so so many more people. Um, I live in Sweden at the moment, but I am actually actually British. And how I actually work is I'm as as Jerry said, I'm a registered nutritional therapist. Um, and I work on a one-to-one -one basis with my clients. I actually work with what we call the functional medicine model, which is where you really get down to the root causes and, and the, you know, you kind of, I, I liken it to peeling back the layers of an onion, you know, really finding out what is going on in the body uh, rather than just guesswork. So I, I involve, if, if needed, functional testing, uh, could be stool testing, could be uh, hormone testing, really depending on what, what the client needs. And, you know, we, we sit down, we go through everything, and then I put together like a health plan uh, that we come to agreement and then we work through that because I find a lot of my clients need support like we all do you know it's very it's very easy to tell someone what they should do but but actually doing it is a completely different thing isn't it so I have contact weekly with my clients and really just see how things are going help them with the support and help them with the nutritional changes and lifestyle changes because it's difficult changing habits you know we've had the habits that we've had for years and they you can't change them overnight so you really need someone to be there to to help you and I, I really work on a very realistic way as well because you know I understand that we're all busy and, and we're all stressed that you can't expect someone to completely change their 
nutrition overnight. So, you know, working on, I always like to say, let's swap out the foods that aren't so nutritious and let's start eating foods that are nutritious. So it's all about swapping things rather than, you know, completely changing everything. So it makes it more realistic and more doable for people without adding another stress to their life, really. So starting out with smaller changes and working on that over a period of time, really as a coach, as a nutritional coach, to help them to get to a point where they really just do this naturally. Let's face it, we all, we, we all have bad habits. Uh, some of us have more bad habits than others. And so trying to unwind that and make them and change them into healthier habits, healthier eating habits, healthier fitness habits, doesn't happen overnight. And it's more sustainable if it happens gradually, right? I mean, you don't run a marathon. If you've never, if you've never run a, a, a marathon and you want to start running, you have to build to that. So you start with your half a mile. Maybe you do a combination of running and walking and you start at a slower pace. And eventually you can build up to that marathon or if you wanted to achieve that as your ultimate goal. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's it's all about I, I always like to say it's all about balance and, you know, small steps every day, you know, make a huge difference if you do them regularly. And one thing that we should remember is when, when people are going into perimenopause and menopause, you know, that they, they've, they're already quite stressed and maybe suffering from a lot of different symptoms that are really making their lives quite unpleasant. So they need something that that is doable. You know, even it could just be something as simple as increasing the water intake. You know, let's start the first week by just drinking more water. So it doesn't have to be a huge amount of changes. Small changes over time make very, very, you know, big differences in people's lives. So when we in perimenopause, when we're approaching menopause, so we, we look at the various stages of menopause. Many women don't understand that menopause may happen overnight if you enter chemical menopause or surgical menopause. And that is sometimes overwhelming to women. And so anyone that's listening to this podcast that enters menopause, what we'll call pretty suddenly, because they are placed in chemical menopause as a function of treatment for a, a disease such as cancer, or, or they are facing uh, endometriosis treatment and maybe in chemical menopause because they are on a treatment for their endometriosis, they are experiencing menopausal symptoms. That is more sudden, but that, that can still be ameliorated with some of what we're going to share with you today. But for women who are in natural menopause, it does happen somewhat gradually. So over time, you will see changes in your hormone levels and they will affect the way in which you see your body changing, your skin, your hair, your nails, the way your body changes shape potentially. And all of that can be ameliorated with some of what we're going to share with you today and in the future, we because we hope that we'll have more conversations with Allison, giving us some guidance on how we can manage our nutrition and improve our overall health, and especially as we move through the various transitions. So you indicated in, your, in one of your blogs um, that blood sugar is so important to our overall menopausal health, well, to our health in general, 
But as we enter menopause, and perhaps we could spend a little bit of time chatting about blood sugar, what that means, how that changes when we are in premenopause, perimenopause, and menopause, and then what things can be done to help women to address that and to work with within the, uh, the balance of our hormones. Yeah, blood sugar is, I always say to my clients, if, if there's one thing that you're going to do for your health during menopause that you will see, you know, the greatest results from is, is to manage your blood sugar. Uh, because as you say, Jerry, it, it just affects everything. And what happens is as we go into uh, perimenopause, you know, we have estrogen receptors all over our body. And when our estrogen levels start to decline and fluctuate as they do in uh, perimenopause, it actually affects virtually all the systems in the body. And that includes uh, the insulin, the blood sugar. And what happens is, is when we insulin is the hormone that we release when we eat carbohydrates. So when we eat um, like biscuits or bread or starchy vegetables, you know, your body wants to utilize that energy. It turns into glucose in the, in the system. And insulin is a hormone that is released into the bloodstream. And the best way to describe insulin is like the key that opens the cell. And this key allows the energy from the blood uh, and the circulation to go into the cell. So your body can utilize the energy. But what can happen during perimenopause is that your body isn't as sensitive to the insulin. So it's kind of like the key doesn't work like it should. So that the cell doesn't recognize the insulin and doesn't open up like it should. Uh, so this can if, if not, you know, if you haven't, if you're not aware of it and don't do something about it, this can lead to higher blood sugar uh, levels because the energy isn't getting into the cell. Uh, and then, I mean, the stage from that is insulin resistance. And then if that's left, then you, you lead on to uh, diabetes too. So what we need to think about in perimenopause and menopause is you really need to take a little bit extra care and, and really think about what you're eating. And blood sugar, you know, it's, it's going back to good old sugar, isn't it? I mean, we all talk about, oh, sugar, and we shouldn't eat sugar. But the standard American diet that, that we all know, which is full of highly refined processed uh, fats, sugars, you know, the fiber has been taken out. It, it isn't nutritious. You know, that, when you eat that, the refined um, products will just shoot your blood sugar up. And what happens is when you get into this, your blood sugar shoots up, you secrete insulin, it goes down again. You, you get into like a roller coaster of, of blood sugar. And this causes things like anxiety, uh, it makes you feel irritable. It can. It's actually been shown in studies to increase uh, hot flushes or hot flashes, I think, as you, as you call them in the US. Uh, so it, it isn't beneficial for, for menopausal ladies. And also it adds, you know, we we can find as we get into perimenopause that you suddenly develop this like the, the waist area becomes a bit thicker. Uh, you can have more of a stomach uh, uh, and you may be eating the same diet. You're still exercising, but you notice that you're putting on weight around the middle area. And this again is to do with the blood sugar levels because insulin is what we call a fat storing hormone. 
So when you've got insulin in your blood circulation, you will store fat because your body, your body's fantastic. It's a very clever thing and it doesn't like this high blood sugar. So if it can't get it into the cell, it will store it as fat in your liver, first of all, and then it will store it around the middle area. Uh, so that's why sometimes you can feel uh, that your waistline is expanding. There are other reasons for that as well, but that is, is one of them. So you kind of develop, rather than being the pear shape, you, you become more of an apple shape um, during perimenopause and menopause. So the things you want to think about with, with blood sugar control is, you know, think of portion size. So not only think about what you're eating, really think about how much you're eating, because it's very easy to, you know, we all like eating and food is delicious. And sometimes, you know, going back for seconds isn't actually necessary. It takes at least 20 minutes for you to feel satisfied from what you've eaten. So just try to wait. When you've eaten a meal, just wait those 20 minutes and see if you actually need to go back for more. But when you think about how to look at your plate, I always think it's nice to, if you think of a plate, you know, you should be really having, uh, you've got your protein on there, roughly like a palm size of protein. And protein such as uh, fish, you know, poultry, if you're vegetarian or vegan, you know, you've got, you've got soya products, uh, beans, legumes. Protein is key to blood sugar balance, amongst other things, when we get older. Uh, and then, you know, rather than having a huge plate of carbohydrates, so, for example, bread, uh, white bread, refined products like pasta, white rice, which are refined carbohydrates. And when you eat them, they will go into your circulation very fast and shoot your blood sugar up. So think of having, having your protein and then having vegetables. So I have my palm size of protein and then I fill half my plate up with um, non-starchy vegetables. So, you know, like your greens, your broccolis, your salads, uh, and then having a little bit of carbohydrate, maybe like sweet potato. Uh, you know, carrots have a, a slightly more uh, carbohydrates in. So it's, it's all about balance. Rather than having, you know, half of your plate full of rice, a very small bit of protein and maybe one vegetable, you really need to rethink the way that you plan, plan your uh, plate. And also something, there's something called the glycemic index, which can be very useful um, when looking at, at foods that you should, should be eating to manage blood sugar. And they're basically foods, you can look, there's a scale there and you can look on how they affect your blood sugar. So you want to be eating the foods on the lower scale of the glycemic index uh, because they, they've been shown that they don't spike blood sugar and that they're your foods like your whole grains you know fiber is key we want fiber that really you know not only helps blood sugar balance but it helps the gut and the microbiome and everything so it's all it's all about balance and thinking about what you eat and you know getting rid of the refined processed sugary foods and and also don't forget about drinks because we tend to for some reason, we tend to think about what's on the plate, but then on the side, we can have like a Coca-Cola or a, a soda. It's just like pure sugar. So really be mindful of what you're drinking. I mean, the energy drinks, 
they they are just so full of sugar and caffeine and they're, they're terrible for your health it's actually quite interesting because in um norway france and denmark certain brands of energy drinks have actually been banned because they're uh, concerned about the effects that the ingredients have on the human body speaking of drinks um so for those of us that that do uh, have a drink, uh, whether it's a glass, a nice glass of wine. Let's discuss the sequence of consumption of something like a glass of wine. So if you start off before you actually put one bite of protein in your mouth, you start off drinking wine. What does that do to your blood sugar? Yeah, go, great question. That because it, it's alcohol, it's, it's wine, it it's contains quite a lot of sugar, that will, um, if you haven't eaten anything and you just drink the wine first, that will shoot your blood sugar up because it goes directly into your system. Whereas if you've eaten something, if you've eaten protein, it has like more of, I suppose you could describe it as like more of a buffering effect. It will, it will still increase your blood sugar, but it won't spike it as quickly because you it will help it will buffer the effect it's same with if you eat uh, fat as well that has tends to balance out the blood sugar effect slightly more than rather just eating drinking something that's sugary so we we often discuss what happens when we begin our meal and for example thinking about dinner we mostly think about how the, how the meal progresses. So oftentimes there's bread that's served as part of the appetizer. Now, I grew up in a family where we didn't eat bread. Italian that doesn't eat bread, can you imagine that? However, <laughs> however we never started our meal with bread. We started our meal with antipasto and antipasto consisted of veggies, like artichokes and sliced tomatoes and a little bit of hummus. But when I would dine out, they would always serve bread. And when I was old enough to drink, there was wine. So there was wine and there was bread. And you could continue that tradition. And can you imagine that? You're starting with white bread and a glass of wine to spike your blood sugar. And your body keeps digesting and processing that sugar throughout your meal. Does that impact all of what we are just discussing in terms of blood sugar? So the sequence of eating these various proteins and veggies, does that matter? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what you, what you should think, what you want to think with every meal that you eat, you want to eat protein, fat and carbohydrates together because they, they, it all works together. If you, like we were saying, if you, you just eat sugar or you drink a glass of wine, it just gets into your system so quickly and will shoot your insulin levels and blood, blood sugar levels up. Uh, so, you know, having, for example, if you have like a, a piece of apple with some nut butter, you know, you've got your protein, you've got your fat and you've got your carbohydrates from the apple, but they, they work together. They reduce that that immediate uh, blood sugar surge, and and what you drink, you know, I think it was is fascinating what you're saying about you know br the bread that they serve in restaurants. 
you know, you it's white bread normally, which shoots your blood sugar up. And then, like you were saying, you have a glass of wine and and that whole process will start this blood sugar journey off throughout the whole meal. And then you'll maybe have a dessert. And when you've got high blood sugar, when it's going up and down on the roller coaster, when it's down, you really crave sugary things. So you, you get into this like cycle of, of just eating refined sugary foods because that's what your, your body's craving totally. So it, it, it becomes, it's, it's quite interesting. I, I've, I've seen with clients that how you start your day, if you start your day with a, a very balanced, you know, breakfast with protein, fat, uh, non-starchy carbohydrates, it sets you up for the whole day. Whereas if you start your breakfast with, you know, some white bread and some jam or a muffin or, or whatever, it starts on that roller coaster and, you know, you, you'll have the peak, it will go down and then you'll start craving and it just escalates the whole day. You'll be craving sugar and your, your diet probably for that day will not be as nutritious as it should be. So, so starting, that's a really good piece of advice. So starting your day the right way, and this goes back to the beginning of this conversation, which is making the incremental changes and thinking about it. Today, I'm going to start making adjustments to my diet. Let's talk about breakfast. What, what is a good option for breakfast? We talk about starches. I love croissants. Yes, I do love croissants and I love scones. I avoid them. I do treat myself now and again. And we you know, we have to spoil ourselves once in a while, so I won't exclude them from my diet entirely. But what do you recommend as a way in which to incrementally improve your diet, starting with breakfast? What I tend to say to people, which can some people think, oh, I don't know about that. It's a really different way of looking at things. But in an ideal world, you should really eat your dinner for breakfast because that is what sets you up for the rest of the day with, you know, the balance of those foods. And, but I appreciate people maybe don't want to do that. The best breakfast is where you've got your protein, your fat, your carbohydrates. An example is um, some salmon, some salmon uh, with some broccoli and a bit of sweet potato. That's, that's like the ultimate breakfast. I think breakfast has become it's more like a dessert really, isn't it? We, we, you know, the cereals that, that we eat and, and the toast and it, it's just pure sugar really what we're eating for breakfast. Another wonderful thing for breakfast is eggs. I'm, I'm a huge fan of eggs because they're, they're such a great source of protein and healthy fats. And there's so many things you can do with them. So, you know, scrambled egg with, with smoked salmon or just some egg on, scrambled egg on wholemeal toast. Uh, poached egg, boiled eggs, you know, having, I always have some boiled eggs in the fridge because if you feel, or you're feeling a bit hungry, you can just grab a boiled egg. They're, they're like a packaged nutritional bomb. I, I, I love eggs. So there's many things you can do with, with them in the mornings. And, and porridge, you know, proper porridge, not, not flavoured porridge or added sugars or anything, just proper oats uh, has a slow release that's quite low on the, the glycemic uh, scale. So, you know, a bowl of porridge with some nuts and seeds and maybe some berries and, and cinnamon uh, with some milk or, or nut milk, whatever you prefer. 
so, you know, really rather get away from the, the toast and the bread and the, and the croissants and, and the muffins and, you know, the, then the cup of coffee and caffeine also raises your blood sugar levels. So it's, it's just changing the way you think, really. It's, it's interesting that you say eat dinner for breakfast. So oftentimes if I have, on the, mostly on the weekends, if I've had some leftovers from the night before, could be some leftover salmon or leftover chicken breast or what have you, and some veggies that I've made, Brussels sprouts or broccoli, oftentimes because I'm lazy, I don't want to prepare the eggs, I just throw the uh, leftover in the microwave oven. And that's what I end up eating for breakfast and never really thought about it in quite the way that you describe it, but it's easy, it's healthy, it's nutritious. Who says you need to have something that is quote unquote traditional for breakfast? Because if you go to Japan, they're eating fish for breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're eating in Sweden, you're probably also having something like salmon for your breakfast or some type of a fish dish. So it culturally, it, it differs around the world and probably is healthier thinking about it just the way that you described it. Yeah, but it, it's, it, some people think, oh, I don't know about that, that, but they hadn't really thought about it. But that is such a healthy way to, to, to live. And then, you know, having your, your main meal or your dinner for breakfast and then, you know, having your lunch and maybe in the, in the evenings, you, obviously you have your evening meal but maybe it doesn't need to be quite as as large and the portions don't, don't need to be as big so have eat more in the mornings and less in the evenings really and it's it's you know it's been shown I've, i find the uh, fascinating with intermittent fasting and the research that that's coming out on that that you know there there's lots of different ways that you can do it but you know some people don't eat breakfast or they'll have their breakfast much later, more, more of a brunch sort of breakfast at 11, maybe 12 o'clock. And then they have more of a, a dinner style breakfast. So there's lots of ways of fitting it in to whatever suits suits the person that's doing it. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good way of thinking. And leftovers, I'm a huge fan of leftovers. I mean, they're, they're delicious and you, you've got them in the fridge and it takes a couple of minutes to warm up in the microwave. So, Back to the point of intermittent fasting. So I actually did intermittent fasting for about 18 months and noticed a complete transformation. I'm naturally a slender person, but I had heard about intermittent fasting and did a little bit of research on my own, but I'm curious about your thoughts on intermittent fasting. Yeah, I, it's still in the early stage of the, re, the research isn't really there to give us the full picture. There is research coming out on it. And, you know, I've seen with, with clients and, and my, myself that it, it works if you get the right. It's not for everybody. It really isn't. But if, if it works for that person and they can manage it and they're not feeling, you know, you shouldn't be feeling really hungry all the time because that obviously can lead to, to other things. But we do need a bit more research on it really to, to back up you know, saying anything that, oh, it absolutely does this or that. But when you look at what's coming out in the research, it, it is very beneficial, that the results that they're getting. And it really, but the problem is in society today is that we are constantly eating. You know, I think we, we've gone from having three meals a day to then having that we should snack, 
you know, every other hour. So we're constantly eating from the, the time we get up to, to the time we go to bed. And, you know, your digestive system needs a break to repair itself and, you know, do all the wonderful things that it needs to do so it can work perfectly. And with intermittent fasting, amongst other things, this really gives the digestive system a rest um, so it can rebalance and, and work better and the microbiome and, and all the other wonderful things that are in your digestive tract can, can work more efficiently. So that's one of, one of the main benefits of uh, intermittent fasting. And also it, it, you know, it cuts down that you're co not constantly eating which we don't really need to do. They've found now through research that, you know, we don't actually need to eat the amount of food that we're eating. The whole food environment, the whole of our lives is just surrounded with food. No matter what shop you go into or wherever you are, there's, there's just food everywhere. It's hard to resist really, isn't it? We're, we're only human. So there's a, there has been a new trend, at least here in the United States to combine dining opportunities with shopping and we've noticed that in some of the more the higher end boutique -y kinds of stores where the uh, the cafe is right inside the the shopping boutique so it makes it easy for women uh, mostly women i've noticed it mostly in women's uh, boutiques to stop have a coffee have a snack have a treat have a glass of wine and you're absolutely correct. We we tend to fill up our day with food. Hmm. Totally. And then it's not necessary. <laughs> right. Instead of getting up and taking a walk and you know moving around, we're taking a few steps away from our office to grab the coffee, to grab the snack, to perhaps, you know, the shopping mall or the boutique and more food and more wine so it's we're constantly eating it does make sense to think about this in terms of giving your gut a break right we give our we should give our brains a break step away from the computer step away from our daily activities but we don't think about that with our gut with no. our it's constantly being charged with activity but i do i do want to address um the, the idea of if you are a woman who may already have some issues with blood sugar, what can we, what can be done? How can that, um, how can she be helped in terms of perhaps making some of those changes? And obviously we wanna be absolutely clear that we are not providing medical advice. And so if you have been diagnosed with an issue where your blood sugar is already elevated you should be seeing a healthcare practitioner and a specialist, probably an endocrinologist. We are not providing medical advice here. However, what we are providing are options for diet and nutrition to help you as you manage through that. So perhaps we could spend a few moments chatting about that. Yeah. Um... There's a lot of things that you can do, but absolutely, as you said, Jerry, that, you know, you need to see a healthcare professional and, and you know, get your blood sugar tested and, and, you know, get everything sorted out. But, you know, the lifestyle and the nutritional is, is a big piece of that, definitely. Uh, what you should really do is, you know, get rid of the processed foods. I know I've already said that, but that is key to really 
get rid of the sugary refined processed foods. So looking at your diet, working with a nutritional therapist and, and really finding out what works for you to come up with a plan of, of healthy nutritional food that can work for you, you know, working on gut health, like eating all your wonderful fermented foods to help boost the microbiome, um, all your green leafy vegetables, meats, you know, good sources of proteins and, and buying whole foods. You know, I always like to say, if you if you choose a product in a supermarket, don't buy something that has like a list of ingredients on the back that has 30, 40 different ingredients. You know, try to buy whole foods like like a chicken or, or some broccoli and, you know, make your foods from scratch. And it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, you can roast. I just tend to roast a chicken. And I'll have that in the fridge. And if I'm busy and don't have time after work, I'll have like a chicken breast with some salad. It, it takes me five minutes to put together. So I think it's really reassessing your what you do when you're in. It's, you know, it starts in the in the, the food shop. What, what am I actually buying? What is in my basket? Spend the majority of your time on the outskirts of the shop, because normally all the refined products are in the middle aisles. And don't go shopping when you're hungry. That's uh, not a good idea because you tend to always sh immediately shoot for all the carbohydrate, sugary foods. And then for balancing blood sugar, if, you, if you're already feeling that you have a problem with that, um, sleep is a key issue. So it's, it's not all about nutrition. You know, getting good quality sleep is key, is key for many things, but certainly for blood sugar balance because it, you get into this vicious cycle with sleep. If you're not sleeping, which can happen during perimenopause and menopause, that will in turn uh, cause a, a stress response. It will, it will heighten the cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone in your blood. And this in turn high, uh, heightens uh, blood sugar levels in the blood. And because you're, you're tired, you need more energy, you're stressed. And then the next day when you've had less sleep, it's been shown actually in studies that you crave carbohydrate rich foods. So, you know, really looking at your sleep. So sleep, uh, some also water intake, you know, that there's so many things that you can do, but I would say the key thing, and I know that this is not easy and it, it sounds, you know, me just saying, get rid of processed foods and refined foods, because it isn't easy in today's society, but that really is, key if you if you're suffering from high blood sugar levels and get help from from a professional and you will notice those changes so i have a friend who decided she was on the she called herself um the the wine aficionado she loved wine she wanted to be a vintner at one point in her life and she decided that instead of doing that she became a scientist in the pharmaceutical industry but she loved her wine. So she was drinking two or three glasses of wine every single day. And once she hit perimenopause, she noticed a transformation in her body. It was exactly as you described. And she started putting weight around the middle. She went off the wine diet. So she went from drinking two to three glasses to having a glass with her meal, with her meal, and made some incremental changes. And she noticed that her middle became smaller. So her body proportions, her weight didn't change, but her proportions changed. So she did notice that evolutionary process and, and an improvement. She also noticed that her sleep 
quality of sleep improved because she could sleep through the night. She didn't have that spike, that, that sugar surge at two, three o'clock in the morning. So those small changes do make a difference. And thank you for sharing the information about sleep. We agree with you. And stay tuned because there are natural ways that one can help to improve your sleep, sleep longer and break the vicious cycle that causes us to eat more because we are tired and we are frustrated and drink more caffeine, which leads to poor quality sleep, et cetera. So there are different ways in which one can approach sleep in a natural way, looking at natural ingredients, looking at sleep uh, health. There are different opportunities for us to improve that quality of sleep and break the vicious cycle that causes our blood sugar to spike. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, Allison has a wonderful website. And if you would like to learn more, she has some fascinating blog articles and some podcasts, and she has eBooks that you can download. I just downloaded one the other day. It is incredible. Uh, the one that I downloaded was Revive Your Menopausal Skin and Get Back Your Glow. Beautifully done, Allison. Absolutely beautifully done. Fabulous recipes. I'm going to try some uh, when I get home this evening. But um, you can visit her website, Allison Blod, B-L-A-D-H. I hope that's correct. Um, dot com. And if you want to set up an appointment with Allison, you can do so right on her website. But there are lots of ways in which to engage with Allison, with her team, and learn more about how you can manage your menopausal, perimenopausal, menopausal health with nutrition. So Allison, I want to thank you for being the guest on our Love Me Avita podcast. And I hope you'll join us in the future. We have some very exciting topics that I'm confident you could help us with in terms of uh, our uh, target audience, which women um, appreciate as they approach their 40s, 50s, and beyond. We're all trying to navigate through these transitions in life, and our, our nutrition and our fitness is so important to doing so. Oh, thank you, Jerry. That's so kind of you. It's, it's been lovely talking to you, and yeah, it's, it's, I'm so passionate about this subject, and you talk for hours because there's just so many different elements to it, but no, it's, it's been lovely talking to you, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. My pleasure, and for our listeners, once again, this was Jerry DiPiano with the Love Me Avita podcast, and my special guest, Alison Blod, B-L-A-D-H. Please visit her website. And Allison, thank you once again. Be well and love Mia Vita. Mm -hmm.